0: Great, so this morning we'll be in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and the title of the message is A Heart of Peace and Thanksgiving. A Heart of Peace and Thanksgiving. So um, before I get into the word this morning, let me um, open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We pray that you would have your way here this morning, that your word would pierce our hearts, it would become flesh in our lives, it would change us, Lord, that we would leave different from how we came in here this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, that I would decrease and that you would increase. We pray this morning that you continue to shape us and mold us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this week, uh, we're preparing to celebrate Thanksgiving. And often, when you think about Thanksgiving, the first thing that comes into our mind is the food, right? The turkey, the fixings, and who can forget the pies and all the whipped cream? You know, it's a time of the year where I think we start to, you know, maybe gain a little bit of weight. But when you think about Thanksgiving, you know, I think about my own house, maybe you all have a tradition where you go around and you say what you're most thankful for. And, you know, when you think about our lives as believers, when people maybe ask us what we are most thankful for, sometimes we're very quick to say our families, our health, our jobs, maybe our car, maybe Black Friday, I don't know. But the truth of the matter is we often forget to share the blessing that we have in our lives that we should be the most thankful for and that's a life in jesus christ because as believers we know that in christ jesus we have a purpose we have a hope and we have a future and that is what we need to be the most thankful for and often during thanksgiving we have the opportunity to see family and friends uh, maybe individuals that don't know who Jesus Christ is. And this is a prime opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with those people around us. And I think about what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. There he describes us as living epistles, as living letters. So you think about that. We are living letters of recommendation for the faith every single day people are reading us and I heard it once said that we may be the only Bible that somebody will ever read and we want people to see the Lord working in us and through us that should be our desire and every day as we grow in our walk in our relationship with the Lord these letters our lives are being revised to read more like the life of Jesus Christ in terms of his character because Jesus in the word of God it tells us is the only living representation that we have of God the Father and he is whom we want to look like every single day in character and as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week we want to have a heart of peace and a heart full of thankfulness and I know sometimes it's difficult to have that heart because we're still in the flesh. We're still on this earth. And sometimes circumstances, difficulties, whatever we're going through in life can prevent us from having that heart of peace and that heart of thanksgiving. So today in the word of God, we're reminded here how we can have that heart of peace and thanksgiving. That way, when we celebrate thanksgiving on Thursday, whomever's around us will have the opportunity to share that with them. They'll see what the Lord has given to us and perhaps desire that for their own lives. And we can hopefully lead more people to a life in Jesus Christ. So just a little bit of a background here in the letter to the Philippians. So if you remember this letter, um, Paul made a trip to Philippi during his second missionary journey. And You can actually read about that in Acts chapter 16. If you remember, Paul was in Troas and he has this vision of a man. And this man tells Paul, hey, come to Macedonia and help us. So Paul, along with Timothy and Silas and Luke, they make their way to Macedonia and eventually to Philippi and if you remember while they were there we see the first convert on the continent of Europe an individual named Lydia if you remember that and also you can't forget that Philippian jailer remember Paul and Silas they removed a spirit of divination or a foretelling spirit from a young woman and they were thrown into prison and what's interesting about that is when you read that when Paul and Silas are in prison, they're not feeling sorry for themselves or not weeping, but they're singing praises in the middle of the night unto the Lord. And if you remember, there was a big earthquake and all the prisoners were set free and it opened up an opportunity for them to share the love of Jesus Christ with the Philippian jailer. And eventually his household also came to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in this epistle or this letter, Uh, to the church in Philippi, or the Philippians, uh, Paul writes to what is now an established church. Because if you look at the first chapter of this letter, he refers to the saints, to the bishops, and to the deacons, or the elders, or the leaders, or the overseers of this church. Um, He writes this letter while he's imprisoned in Rome. This is one of his prison epistles. Um, It looks like he thanks them. If you look at chapter 4, verses 10 through 18, He thanks them for a monetary gift that was given to him by the church um, in his time of need. And in fact, that gift was taken to Paul by an individual named Epaphroditus. And if you remember, Epaphroditus, when he went to Paul, remember Paul was under house arrest. Um, He stayed with him for a while and Epaphroditus became very ill and he almost died. Um, But by the grace of God, he was healed and was able to take this letter back to Philippi on Paul's behalf and you can read more about that in chapter 2 of this letter as well in the latter part of chapter 4 uh, beginning in verse 10 and when you think about this letter to the Philippians some of the themes that come across number one speaking God's word with boldness even in the midst of difficulty or persecution Uh, Secondly, we can also see a theme of like-mindedness and humility. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today. And then we also see the theme of joy, thanksgiving, rejoicing in the Lord always. And uh, we'll talk more about that as well uh, later this morning. And once again, as we head into Thanksgiving this week, our focus today is on how we can have a heart of peace and a heart of thankfulness. And not just on Thanksgiving Day, but every single day as we continue walking with the Lord. So before I get into the study verse by verse, let me read the text aloud. So here in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 through verse 7, Paul writes for us here Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntaki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse four, says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. So in order for us to have that heart of peace, that heart of thankfulness in our lives, one thing that we have to do for sure is to be Christ-minded, which is our first point this morning. Be Christ-minded. Notice in verse 1, Paul tells us, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Notice here that Paul is speaking to his brothers and to his sisters in Christ. He's encouraging them to stand fast, to stay fixed in the Lord. And notice he mentions that they are his joy and his crown. Now, that word crown there in the Greek is stephanos. And that means here in this context, he's speaking of a crown of achievement. So in other words, as they, the Philippians, They stand fast in the Lord, they abide in the Lord, they become more Christ-minded. These individuals were Paul's prize and would be his crown, they would be his reward on the day of judgment. Because we've talked about this before, we as believers, we are going to be judged, not for our sin, Remember, that was taken care of at the cross. That is covered by the blood of Jesus. But what Paul is referring to here is the judgment, the judgment seat rather, of Christ, or the Bema seat of Christ. And in fact, he talks about that in Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, as well as in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. So we as believers are going to be judged for our service unto the lord and this is what paul is saying here that this church that he established and that he's continuing to minister to will be his prize his reward when he faces the judgment seat of christ because remember works are not what give us salvation right salvation comes from ephesians 2 verses 8 through 9 tells us by grace through faith we have been saved 1 John 2.2 tells us, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation or the appeasement or the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So once again, works don't save us. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. The good works are a result of our salvation. In verses 2 and 3, notice here, Paul writes... I implore Euodia and I implore Syntaki to be of the same mind. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women uh, who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what we see here is Paul is addressing an issue that is happening in the church here in Philippi there seems to be a quarrel that is taking place between two women. So we have Euodia and we have Syntaki. And notice here that Paul doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, oh, I'm on Euodia's side or I'm on Syntaki's side, but rather he urges these women to end this dispute. He wants them to be like-minded. In verse three, he urges a true companion. Now we don't know who this person is, Some scholars suggest it could be Epaphroditus, the guy who took the monetary gift to Paul and delivered the letter from Paul to the Philippians. Um, But we don't know who it is. Along with another individual named Clement, as the word of God tells us here, and others doing the Lord's work. Uh, So what we can uh, see in our minds here as we read this is that Paul is asking for help outside of this quarrel For these individuals to end this fight and it seems like he's reaching out to people that are maybe higher or um, more mature spiritually and um, have more mature judgment to address this issue that is happening in the church and when you think about that in the church there may be times when we do have issues we may have discrepancies and the word of god tells us in matthew 18 verses 15 through 17 Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So once again, you think about disagreements, you think about fights within the church body. You know, often you think to yourself, oh, everyone gets along at church. There's always going to be peace and harmony. But when you think about it, you think about your own families. Sometimes you rub each other the wrong way. There's going to be fights. There's going to be uh, discrepancies. And when you think about the church, we are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And there may be times where maybe we don't agree with one another. And I strongly believe that the way we choose to handle those circumstances greatly determines our Christian character and maturity. And we have to be careful how we handle those um, situations in the church. You know, when I think about it personally, um, I don't ever want to waste Pastor Angel's time. I don't ever want to waste the church's time on a minor dispute that I might find myself in because the focus here needs to be on Jesus Christ, not on Isaac, not on this, not on that. And that's where we need to have the focus. And I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, verse 8. He writes, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And I love this because with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, if there is an issue, you know, the Lord has given you that love to overlook those things that they've done against you. You're able to forgive them. Even though they have to confess those things to the Lord, you are able to forgive them for what they've done. So we don't want to get mad. We don't want to get even. We want to just move on and put the focus where it needs to be, which is on Jesus Christ, which is the name above all names and the name that saves, the only name that saves. And that's where the focus needs to be. We need to be like-minded, that is Christ-minded. And we often need to be reminded of that um, in our walk. So my next point this morning, number two, is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So notice what Paul tells us here in verse 4. He writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. And I love this because he tells us to rejoice only in one thing, right? We don't rejoice in our cars, our careers, our looks, whatever. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. And when should we rejoice in the Lord? Always. Not just on good days, not just when things are going our way, but always, even on those days where you maybe ask yourself, Where are you, Lord? Well, he's there. Always rejoice in the Lord. And when we do that, we're able to do what is told to us in verse 5. Here, Paul says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, that word gentleness, if you look at the King James version of the word here, um, the word moderation is used. So I looked this up um, in the Greek. I'm going to attempt to say this. I may butcher this. Um, I think it's a pia case. Um, It means mildness, patience, yieldingness, gentleness, clemency. And this is what we're to show to all men. Not just people we get along with. Not just people in the church. But this gentleness, this moderation is what we're supposed to be showing to everybody around us. And certainly, this is something that the Lord does in our lives to share with others. And why do we want to do this? Because the Lord is coming soon, right? The Lord is at hand. Now, none of us know when the Lord is coming back. He's coming back like a thief in the night, the Word of God tells us. And furthermore, the Word of God tells us not even Jesus knows when he's coming back. Only God the Father knows that. But we have to be living in such a way where We think of an imminent return of Jesus Christ. He could come back today. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back in five minutes. I don't know when he's coming back, but we have to live in such a way with that healthy fear of the Lord that he could come back at any moment. Now, the third thing, the third point this morning that we see in the text is be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. In verse six and in verse seven, Paul writes, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now Billy Graham once said that anxiety is the natural result when our hopes are centered in anything short of God and his will for us. And when you think about this and this verse here, we are commanded here. We are commanded. Don't be anxious for anything, right? But pray about everything and be thankful for everything. And as we mentioned earlier this morning, we started this new prayer ministry. We're praying corporately now as a church body. And I love it because this is a tool that we need to continually utilize as a new church plant, right? So the Lord can continue working in us individually as a church body and then as a new church plant. We want to make sure we see the needs in this community. We pray for this community. We pray for this church because the enemy doesn't like what we're doing here. And we want to make sure that we're standing firm in the Lord. And prayer is where it all begins. That's where the power is. And when you think about prayer... It's a broad term, you think about our communication with the Lord. And we can pray from anywhere. You know, sometimes we think there needs to be some special circumstances surrounding prayer. We need to be in a dark room. We need to close our eyes. But when you think about prayer, you know, you think about, for example, Jonah. We just finished Jonah. Where did he pray? He prayed from the belly of a large fish. You think about Peter. He prayed sinking into the Sea of Galilee, right? Save me, Lord. And the Lord saved him. We can pray anywhere. We can pray from our cars. We can pray from our homes when we're in the streets. And we should be praying without ceasing, the word of God tells us. So there's no special place to pray. The Lord will hear you. And of course, we want to pray according to his will. Now, the word supplication, which is used here as well, um, that's when you specifically ask God to do something. And a few years ago, I was reading a book um, by an individual named Manny Mill. And the work, the book was called Radical Prayer. And in the book, he said, often we pray for what we need, but we don't pray in such a way for his name to be hallowed or glorified. And when you think about it, sometimes we pray and the prayer is just all about me, 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 me. When in essence, we should be praying in such a way where the Lord's name is glorified. You know, may you be glorified, Lord, as you provide for me, as you provide for my family. May, me, may you be glorified as you guide me in this direction, you guide me in that direction. Because prayer, everything should be about God. Nothing should be about ourselves. And when you pray like that, I can tell you it certainly changes your perspective on a lot of things that are going on in your life. You make it about God and suddenly everything else becomes so small. And that's quite a blessing. Now, let's talk a little bit about that anxiety and that worry that we often have, especially in this life and in this world, uh, because that comes a lot, doesn't it? We often find ourselves anxious or worried, but when we are anxious and worried, we are not single-minded. Our minds are all over the place. Our minds are on the circumstance or not on the Lord. We are not sober-minded in that time. And... Once again, remember in the word, for example, in first Peter five, verse eight, we're told to be sober and to be sober means to be calm, to be collected in spirit, to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil is walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when we are anxious, when we are worried, it gives the enemy a great opportunity to eat us alive. To allow us to be consumed by the circumstances around us, and when our minds are all over the place, we start to seek counsel all over the place too. And I remember it was Pastor Raul Reese who said this. You know, sometimes when we're seeking the Lord's will for our lives, um, which could also be a difficult circumstance, maybe that you're asking the Lord to help you with, um, if you're not focused on the Lord, you start to seek counsel everywhere. And Pastor Raul Reese once said, do you want God's perfect will? If you want God's perfect will, you must inquire of him. You will not find God's perfect will by inquiring of people. We are so quick to hear from people, but we leave going to the Lord as a last resort. We say, well, I've tried everything. I guess I will pray. We inquire of the Lord last instead of first. And when our minds are on the circumstance, it's very clear we are not inquiring of the Lord, right? We're seeking counsel everywhere else. And as we seek counsel outside of the Lord, it gives us the opportunity to start questioning the Lord as well. And it reminds me of Micah chapter 6 verse 3. If you remember there, the Lord asks the children of Israel, you know, what have I done to you? If you remember, the children of Israel were rebelling against the Lord, And sometimes we say the same thing to the Lord. We're going through a hard time. We feel sorry for ourselves and we're like, Lord, what have I done to you to deserve this? And when I think about that, it reminds me of Job. You think about Job, um, this individual, and sometimes we think like Job, we we think like kindergartners almost like kindergarten doctrine or theology we say when i am good i'm going to be rewarded but when i'm bad i'm going to be punished and we have that mindset and when you think about that in terms of job remember his friends in their earthly worldly counsel were telling job you know you are suffering remember job he had lost everything this was a righteous man But remember, the enemy had God's permission to touch his life. And they were telling Job, the reason why all of these horrible things are happening to you is because you are in sin. Now, suffering is going to come if you are in sin, obviously, right? There are consequences to disobedience uh, to the Lord. But even in Christ, there's going to be times when we are going to suffer. There's going to be difficulties in our lives. You know, sometimes we think, "Well, I'm in Christ; everything's going to be perfect. Um, everything's going to be smooth from here on out." Um, but that's not the truth. Remember, the Lord tells us in John sixteen thirty three, "These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer; I have overcome the world." Praise the Lord for that. Now, going back to that kindergarten doctrine or that kindergarten theology that we sometimes uh, find ourselves in, uh, we often lose sight of God, and we focus on seeking an answer as to why. And remember, Job became very bitter in the process of seeking that answer as to why these things were happening to him. And of course, the Lord had to put him back into his place. If you look at Job chapter 38, the questioning Uh, switches. Now the Lord finds Job on the other side of the table and he asks him, you know, where were you when I created the universe? And, you know, who is Job to question the Lord? Who are we to question the Lord? And in terms of Job, eventually the outcome is glorious for him, right? He's blessed with twice as much as he had taken away Um, But yet he still didn't have an answer why. You know, we don't read an answer to his question in the word here. But you think about that. Job didn't have the opportunity to read Job chapter one or Job chapter two. He didn't know that the enemy had had a conversation with the Lord and that the enemy had permission to touch his life. He wouldn't know until he saw the Lord face to face. And for many of us in this room, we'll never know why the Lord allowed something to come into our lives. You know, why did this happen to me? Why did that happen to her? We don't know. We may never know. We may never know until we see the Lord face to face. But I think even then, by the time we reach that place where we see him face to face, finally, maybe we won't even care anymore as to why he allowed that difficulty into our life. But don't spend your time questioning the Lord and wondering why certain things are coming into your life. Remember that the Lord allows things into our lives to make us look more like his son, Jesus, in character. JAMES one, verses two through four. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Notice he says when you fall, not if, but when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Another thing that happens to us when we're anxious and when we're worried and our minds are all over the place, aside from seeking counsel everywhere, we start to seek comfort everywhere as well. And sometimes that allows old sinful habits to start slipping back into your life. And we have to be very careful. And it reminds me of what we read in, in the Proverbs. Proverbs 26, 11, it says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. And we have to be careful that we don't put ourselves in that position. We have to be sober-minded, single-minded, free of worry, free of anxiety. Our minds need to be on the Lord, not on the circumstances, not on the worry that the Lord has allowed into our lives. We have to be careful that we don't open the doors for things to come back in and Consume us things that are temporary, right? We want to focus on the eternal and I was thinking about this and I don't know I don't know if this is like a Hispanic thing because I remember growing up when somebody would come to the door We didn't know who they were Uh, You would turn the lights off. You would turn off the TV You would hide and you'd crawl to the window and like move the blind see who it was, you know That's how we should be walking cautiously. I'm not saying we should be like hiding all, all over the place But we need to be guarding our walk with everything That the Lord gives us because that's the most important thing in our lives we have to be very cautious that we don't open the door to old sinful habits and old ways that because we're born we're born again in Christ we're new creations in Christ Jesus so once again the Lord commands us through Paul here in um, Philippians chapter 4 not to be anxious or to worry about anything but to pray about everything Now, when you think about the Apostle Paul, you're probably thinking, oh, it's so easy for him to tell me that. But you think about this guy, I think he knew a thing or two about anxiety and worry. I mean, he was writing this very letter from prison. He was under house arrest. But not to mention the beatings, the shipwrecks that he talks about in the Word of God. The fact that people wanted to kill Paul. You can imagine this guy had so many things to worry about. But Paul's focus was on Jesus. He wanted to share the love of Jesus Christ with those around him. That's what his focus was on, not on his circumstances. I mean, you could imagine if he focused on all these things, it would have crippled him. But his focus and his strength came from the Lord and was in the Lord. First Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast our cares to him because he cares for us. And we certainly want to do that. And when we do that, here in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4, The word of God tells us, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that is such a beautiful promise. You know, when we receive the gospel into our lives, number one, that Jesus died for our sins. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. We put our faith in that message. We recognize we are sinners. There's an element of repentance in our lives. That, in Romans 3, verse 22, the word of God tells us, we are found righteous in the sight of God when we do that. And when we are found righteous in his sight, we have his favor. We are at peace with God. We have peace with God at that time. But notice here, Paul is speaking of the peace of God. Now, what does he mean there? When I think about the peace of God, so first of all, you have to have peace with God, right? Put faith, your faith in his son, Jesus. Um, then you can have the peace of God. I think about just literally grabbing on to God's peace and holding on to it, holding on to his mercy, his eternal life, his unending love, the hope in the future that we have in Jesus Christ, and just literally grabbing on to that. And the fact that we have access to that peace is such a blessing. It is such a blessing. And I can tell you this is something that the Lord has been teaching me and my family over the past year and a half or so. Um, Many of you already know in this room, but my mom, she suffered a brain hemorrhage about a year and a half ago. And uh, she almost died. She had a less than 2% chance of surviving. But by the grace of God, she lived. She lived. And... You know this circumstance is the circumstance that brought me back to El Paso but has um, united me and my family as my mom continues to recover every single day and my mom had to learn how to walk she had to learn how to talk how to eat um, all the things that we take for granted on a daily basis she had to learn how to do all those things again and you know there's still a lot of therapy and healing to go um, but we trust the Lord We trust the Lord as a family. I mean, that's all we can do. And it's been a very difficult, difficult season for us. Very difficult. I think this is the most difficult thing that the Lord has brought into my life um, so far. Uh, But I can also tell you, this has been the most blessed time in my life, in my family's life, because every single day, my mom is still here. We see a glimpse of his healing hand, which is such a blessing and a miracle. And every day is hard. It's filled with new challenges for my mom and for us as a family. But we know that whatever we're going through each day is the best thing for us. Because God's perfect will is the safest place to be. And that's something that we've had to come to terms with and have peace with. Um, It's not easy. It's easier said than done. And the only way we can get through this is having peace with God. That way we can have the peace of God in our lives. And let me tell you, there's days where I don't have that peace. I have to remind myself. But God's faithful because when we are faithless, He is faithful. He is still there. And that peace is still there and we can grab onto it. So even though she's still being healed physically day by day, I know my mom's already been healed spiritually. Because my mom is a child of God. Her faith is in Jesus Christ she's already been healed she's covered by the blood of Jesus and I know that when she does see our Lord and Savior face to face all of these temporary physical um, limitations that the this brain hemorrhage has brought on all those things are going to go away this is only temporary and because of that I have peace and I have a hope for her and for us as a family as well but I'm just so thankful and I can honestly say that God is good and not just sometimes but always. He's always good and that's what I rejoice in and that's what we rejoice in as a family as well and I'm 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 very sure everyone in here can relate to that as well. Rejoicing in the Lord because he is good. Always good. So, in closing this morning, um, there are three things that we talked about as we continue to seek a heart of peace and a heart of thanksgiving. Um, not just on Thursday but every single day for our lives. Number one, we talked about Being Christ-minded we need to have unity with Christ as individuals and as a church body as a whole secondly we talked about rejoicing in the Lord not just sometimes but always and rejoicing in one thing only the Lord thirdly we talked about not being anxious for anything not worrying about anything but praying and being thankful for everything so as the Lord opens up opportunities for us this week Uh, to see family, to see friends, people that maybe don't know um, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to make sure that we have a heart of peace and thankfulness that we can share with them. So be bold for the Lord and continue doing the work that he's called you here to do. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to shape our, heart, our hearts rather, and mold us into the likeness of your son, Jesus, every single day. We pray this week, Lord, for opportunities, opportunities, Lord God, to be a witness for you. We pray that you would be our mouthpiece, Lord God. You would be our voice, that you would speak boldly through each and every single one of us, Lord God, at our schools, in our homes, in our communities. We pray for the people you're going to bring our way as well, Lord God, that you would soften their hearts. You would open up their minds, Lord God, to hear from you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for this morning, this opportunity to come here, to be in your midst, to be in your presence, to worship you, to praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for everything. We are so thankful to be considered a child of God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have one.